relationships and tonight we're starting just with the basic question we're doing it called we're called we're calling it relationships reimagined and tonight all I want to do is to get us to reimagine or rethink just the idea of relationships themselves so tonight is very much kind of setting us up for where I want to go but if you don't get tonight you're sort of missing it's like a house without foundation you're missing something that's really really crucial for where we're going this semester And I really just want to do two things. Um, I want to sort of look at two things tonight from each passage. On the one hand, I want to look at this idea of why are our relationships broken? Because I think if you're like me and you can be honest with yourself, every single one of us in here walked into this room with some kind of a broken relationship in your past, present, or definitely your future. Why? Why are relationships so hard? Why are they so messy? Why can't they just be easy and like all cupcakes and kittens? Didn't say puppies because dogs are the worst. <laughs> no, no, you're going to hate RUF and leave. I love puppies too. They're great, but kittens are better. We'll talk afterwards. Um, they're hard, and you know that. And in college, they're going to be hard. Listen, my freshman year, I, I, experienced, I experienced a breakup that was tragic. I experienced the loss of a best friend of about 10 years. I experienced the trauma of going from a private school to a huge university and like, you know, who am I going to be friends with? Relationships are so hard, especially for those of you who are freshmen. But seniors, you can attest to this too. Your relationships from freshman year till now, you've had some rocky roads. So the first question we're asking is why are relationships so hard? The second question we're asking is how can they be made whole? And that's really what we're talking about all semester. How can our relationships be made whole? And what's going to be fun, or maybe it's going to be fun to me and not fun to you, is as our God, we're actually going to take for every sermon a a Beyonce song or lyric, um, which I'm looking forward to. Because when you think about relationships, uh, who has it together more than Beyonce? Because on the one hand, she's an incredible uh, singer. On the other hand, she's a mom. She's a wife. She's a friend. She has got it all. And there's a song, actually, that... Uh, in all seriousness, that I think is pretty profound. Can I say that a Beyonce song is profound? I just did, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, there's a song, it's probably one of her lesser-known songs, called Flaws and All. Here's what she says. She says, I'm a puzzle, yes, indeed, ever complex in every way. 
And all the pieces aren't even in the box, and yet you see the picture clear as day. I assume she's talking about Jay-Z, but I don't know. But we're talking about Jesus. <laughs> I don't know why you love me, and that's why I love you. You catch me when I fall, accept me flaws and all, and that's why I love you. And if you don't get anything else out of tonight, this is where we're going, is that the thing that's going to free you to actually make your relationships whole is the gospel itself. The way that Jesus loves you as a flawed person is going to free you up, not only to admit that you are a flawed person, it's called humility, but also to love flawed people. That's called relationship. So let's get into it. So first, let's ask the question, though, why are our relationships broken? That's where we're looking at Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 has a profound thing. I said it at the beginning, that Genesis 3 gives us this picture of the way God created us. And when God created us, I've said it, but let me say it again, he gave us four primary relationships. A relationship with himself, with God, a relationship with people, Adam and Eve, and their children, and their friends, eventually. A relationship with the place, the garden, and a relationship with things, fruit, animals, work, produce, etc., etc. Now here's the reality. Listen to the way that Zach Eswine puts it in his book. Here's what that means that we're called to. And this is both what is beautiful about relationship and what's really, really hard about it. Listen to what Zach Eswine says in his book, Sensing Jesus. He says this. This means, number one, that we were to regard God and nothing else as God. And to love him and surrender to him as such. In other words, we were to love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. It's not easy. Two, it also means that we were to love each other. I.e., hold fast to his wife, as they called Adam. To relate appropriately to our extended family. To leave father and mother. And cultivate a family and ultimately a community of neighbors. For neighbor love, which is be fruitful and multiply. In other words, we were meant to love our neighbors. And then three, listen to what Zach Eswine says. It's so crucial for you to get. We were to recognize the goodness and sacredness of the place, the creatures, and the things that God had created. And to watch over these good things. We were to contribute to cultivating the creation, to work it and keep it, in a culture that reflected the goodness of God and the things he had made in a place he called us to. Now, here's the reality of what we do with all of those relationships. Two things you have to understand as to why our relationships are broken. Two things you've got to get that are going to make sense not only of your life, but are going to make sense about why relationships are hard. Here's number one. Here's what we do with all four of those relationships is we either make too much of them or we make too little of them, especially the relationship with people. In other words, the order somewhere in our hearts got messed up. So you read Paul in Romans 1, and what does he say? He says, instead of worshiping the creator, what we have done is we worship the creation, and we try to make the creation fulfill us and make us happy in only ways the creator can. That's the first thing you've got to understand about yourself. So that means you are constantly, this is why you think having a boyfriend or girlfriend is going to fulfill you. And this is why those of you who've just gone through a breakup know that it doesn't. There was a guy who said one time, and I'll never forget it because it, it made so much sense after the fact of why I struggled like I did through my first relationship in college. It started in high school. And it went into college. But when that breakup happened, it devastated me. And I never understood why until this guy said this line. And he said this, no one in this world can bear the weight of your identity but God himself. No one can bear the weight of your identity but God. And when you mess that order up, when you look to a person, or when you look to even a place, 
or when you look to a thing, food, alcohol, drink, whatever it is, to bear the weight of your identity, it doesn't work because God alone can. The thing that I always think of is I remember the very first time when I was, I was before I came to USC, I, was, I spent uh, about five years at Georgia Southern University doing RUF. It's in Statesboro, Georgia, which is the middle of nowhere. But I remember one of the things that my students love to do is they love to take those Eno uh, hammocks and like go to this place that's similar to the horseshoe. And they would like hang up their Enos around campus. And I'll never forget the, the first time that I like got into an Eno because I'm a bigger guy. We can be honest about this. Like, you know, like when, when we talk about the freshman 15, I did the freshman 50. Food is, a, is my love language, and I put on some weight every now and then. So I remember, you know, the skinny, skinny student would be like, hey, man, get into my Eno. And I remember thinking, that thing is not going to hold me. Like, if I slip into this little, like, tent, it's just going to, like, crack the trees in half. Or the thing is going to split open. And, of course, I, like, crawled in, and it could hold the weight of my identity. And that's part of what God is saying to you tonight. Listen, I can hold the weight of your identity. I made you for myself. I made you for me. And when that relationship is off, all of your relationships are going to be off. To people, places, and things. When that relationship is made right, not by what you do, but what he has done through Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. Is you come to RUF not to hear about, you've got to hear this. If you want to know what RUF is about, this is it in a nutshell. You come to RUF not to hear about what you must do to make yourself right with God. You come to RUF to hear about what God has done through his son to make you right with himself. And he has done everything, which is why Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. What he meant by that was the full work, not only in paying the penalty for your sins, but in earning the righteousness that you can never do. You can never be perfect enough. Jesus did it for you, and he says it's a gift to you. It's a gift of his grace. In time and time, what I hope RUF is for you, especially if you're a freshman, is for that your heart more and more just, just lets that soak in. Because that is radical. But he's saying, I can bear the weight of your identity. But the first thing is, we either make too much. So what that means, though, especially in relationships with one another, we either are on the other, this side that we call enmeshment, and we're trying to, sort of find, we're trying to make another person a god. And C.S. Lewis says, when you make another person a god, they become a devil. Or we're on this side, what we could call isolation. Where you're so skeptical of people, you're like, ha, people, give me Netflix and you guys go to your parties. Give me my Xbox and you guys go play your soccer or whatever. And you're just a little hermit. And that's why you see your friends do that, right? They either get wild and crazy in the party scene and can't say no to people. Or they lock themselves in their room and are completely isolated. Both are off. The Bible says when Jesus, when your relationship with Jesus is right and you realize he's the only one you need, he bears the weight of your identity, you don't over-need people, neither do you underserve people. You're not afraid of people or being vulnerable, right? So the first reason that our relationships are broken is we make too much or too little. But here's the second thing, and you've got to get this, is that in all of your relationships, we're going to say this over and over and over this semester, but in all of your relationships, you are constantly either doing one of two things, ministry or manipulation. You're either giving or you're taking. You're either being a servant or you're being a consumer. And in every one of your relationships, at any moment, you're always doing one of those. You're always either loving someone or using them, right? Uh, there's a scene this week. I don't know if you watch Breaking Bad or not, but you need to. That's actually part. If you want to belong to RUF, you have to watch Breaking Bad. Not really. Uh, but it is a great show. It's one of my favorite shows. 
And there's a scene this week, and I'm, no, no spoilers, but there's a scene this week that was really profound where Walt, who is uh, played by Brian Cranston, he's kind of the, the meth guru, and is uh, the high school, used to, he used to teach him in high school, but now he's just his younger, he kind of acts like a father to him, but he's just a kid who was a meth dealer for a while, Jesse. There's a scene as their relationship's unfolding where Jesse looks at Walt this week and says, in a very moving scene, he says with tears of anger, he says, for one minute, can you please stop working me? Just for one minute, can you pretend like you're not using me to get what you want? And as I was watching, I thought, yes, that is what we do to each other. We work each other. It's like we're all in this campaign to be like this loved person. And all we're doing is we're just, you're part of my campaign. You're part of the Sammy campaign. And your friends are part of the you campaign. For you to present yourself as this, as this person who's got it all together and cool and all the girls or guys like you or whatever it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. But we use each other instead of love each other. Um, so first, why our relationships are broken. But then second, think with me for a little bit about how they can be made whole. And this is where we get to the John 21 passage. And I love this passage for so many reasons that we can't get into. But the main thing that I love is you have to understand something about this passage that Jesus is, is seeing his friends for the first time. And do you remember the last place they were together? If you've read the Gospels before? Literally, the last place in the Gospels you see Jesus with these friends is when Jesus is in another garden, interestingly. He's in the garden to make things right. He's in the, another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, to make things right for us. And he's in this garden, and you remember the scene, this is actually, I didn't realize this until I was studying this, but the Garden of Gethsemane is like this place where there were, it's like a cooler place, a little bit outside of Jerusalem, and there were all these olive trees, and it was kind of like if you're a friend's person, it was kind of like, can I say it this way, it was a little bit like the central perk for the disciples, where they just like would hang out, and like just, they literally would just kind of hang out and talk, and that was one of their favorite places to go and get away. And here's Jesus, and he knows he's about to go to the cross, things are getting heated with the authorities, and Jesus goes, and he, his disciples can tell he's anxious, and he says, I'm just asking you guys for one thing. You're my friends. I've shared my life with you. We've slept in the same places. We've ate the same food. I've washed your feet. There's nothing we don't know about each other. And I'm just asking for one thing. I'm about to go pray to the Father by myself. Can you guys please stay up and pray for me? And they're like, yeah, we got you, Jesus. We will pray for you. And Jesus comes back the first time. What does he find? They're all asleep. We, I, I, we can relate to that. You know when you're tired and, you're, and your, your friend's trying to talk to you and you're just like nodding off? And that's what the disciples were doing. But the reality is the disciples were incredibly selfish, incredibly flawed. We didn't, were not selflessly loving Jesus. And this is the first time. And not only that, it gets worse. As Jesus goes to the cross, every single one of the disciples leaves him. Every single one of, his, of the disciples you know, just deserts him to the core. And, and remember Peter. Peter's is the worst. Because Peter is standing by that charcoal fire. And he says, in, the, in his language, he says, the name Jesus comes up and he says, I didn't even effing know him. He says he uses a strong cuss word to deny Jesus. And then Jesus looks at him and Peter feels the shame. And what I want you to get is this is the first time there's, this is the first time they're seeing Jesus. This is the first time Peter's seeing Jesus, first time Jesus seeing Peter. What's it going to be like? We've all been in that awkward situation where you've, you've had a breakup. Maybe you're in the grocery store and there's the person. You're like, ooh. 
let's see if we can go to another grocery store. Or you've had this falling out with a friend, you show up at a party and they're there and you're like, uh, what are we going to do? And that's what this is like. They see Jesus, what's he going to be like? And what I love is we see two things about Jesus that gives us hope for our relationships. Here's the first, is that Jesus loves flawed people. Jesus loves flawed people. The beautiful thing about this text is, do you see what Jesus was cooking the fish in? Charcoal fire. Do you think that was significant to Peter? Do you think Jesus did it by accident? Jesus knew, and Jesus was saying, Peter, what you did was bad. You hurt hurt me. But my love is greater, and my grace is greater than all of your son. And I'm here not to shame you. I'm here not to condemn you. I'm here to give you grace. I'm here to love you. I'm here to be your friend. Jesus loves flawed people. I love the quote by Tim Keller. You see it on your your, uh, handout. Here's what Keller says. He says this. He says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And that's the kind of love that Peter has, the the kind of love that Jesus has for Peter. That's the kind of love that Jesus still has for flawed people like you and me. Here's the reality, though. This is what's hard about this semester. It's part of what I hope that happens is that you're not going to feel a great sense of that love unless you see yourself as a flawed person. And some of you, that's actually your problem tonight. Is you sort of came through these doors, and but you don't really see yourself as a flawed, broken person. And if you don't see yourself as a flawed, broken person, then of course it doesn't mean anything to you for you to say that Jesus loves flawed people. Because when you hear that, you say, yeah, I've got some people in Capstone Jesus needs to love. And it's like, hmm, yes, but that person is you. Because you come with all kinds of sins and struggles. Some of them are external. Some of them, for a lot of you, if you grew up in the church, are internal. You're proud. And you know what God says about proud? He opposes, about pride, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes. If you came into this and you're proud in your own performance and you think you've got it all together, you're the, you're the super group Christian, the Bible actually says God opposes you. And what he means to do this semester, hopefully, is humble you. And he often does that through relationships, because that's the last place the gospel actually trickles and changes us. So first, Jesus loves flawed people. Here's the second thing about how our relationships can be made whole. Is that in, this, in John 21, what you have to understand is Jesus is, is raised from the dead. And you and I typically don't know what to do that other than say, yeah, it's a miracle, it's great. But when the Bible talks about resurrection, it means something much, much bigger. And it means this. It means that the resurrection signified the start of something new, which is why Jesus is, is actually cooking breakfast. Is because it's the beginning of a new day. And that new day is a day where Jesus is making all things new, not just people. He's making people new, but he's also, Romans 8 says, he's making creation new, such that when we're in the new heavens, new earth, we're going to long, we're going to, the creation is groaning for Jesus to make it and take it back to its pre fallen state and all its glory. But Jesus is also making all your relationships new. He's not just making you new. He's making all of your relationships new. He's making your relationships with your parents new. 
He's making the way that you relate to guys and girls new. And believe me, that is a place where a lot of you need to be made new. Because a lot of you date like you're not a Christian. And what does it mean to date like a Christian? We're going to talk about that. But he's making your relationships new. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine, and I love, I'm going to close with this, I love his, um, the way that he came to know Jesus. This idea of, of how the gospel actually changes the way that we relate to people. Because... It changes the way that we relate to God. And uh, my friend, um, his name is Sean, and he went to Clemson. And he came to Clemson. He wasn't a Christian. He was your typical kind of Southern, grew up in Georgia. He did the fraternity thing, uh, which is great. And he was kind of in this fraternity that um, was pretty popular on campus. And then he started dating this girl that, um, that you know, he, he liked, and uh, everything was going well there. You know, he was the kind of kid that came from privilege. Uh, just your classic kind of Southern white male that goes to Clemson that is kind of nominally a Christian but doesn't really know Jesus and hasn't changed anything in the way he lived. And then part of the way he became a Christian is that as he lived his freshman year in a dorm, there was actually a guy, and he was an African-American guy from, from his same state, but a very different life, from a very different kind of background. And he had come to Clemson, and he had actually gotten rejected by the fraternity that Sean was in, and which was really painful for him because he knew he was rejected simply because of his race. Then he had taken the girl that Sean ended up dating out a couple times, and things seemed to be going well until Sean came into his life and took her out of his life, and then Sean and this girl started dating. And then, uh, you know, it was just, he was just one of those guys, you know, to make it worse, he would go and hang out, and then Sean's room was this, was this big rebel flag, and, and for him as an African-American, that was just very uncomfortable. But then this guy, we're going to call him Anthony, uh, became, uh, became a Christian. He actually started going to REF at Clemson and, uh, and came to know Jesus, and he was at REF one week, and the guy was talking about, you know, part of the gospel is that while you hated God, he loved you. And part of what that means is, who do you hate that God wants you to love? That was what the preacher said. And without blinking, Anthony prayed. He said, Lord, who do I hate that you're calling me to love? Because I hated you and you loved me. And he said, I know it is. It's Sean. And so week by week, Anthony would go into Sean's dorm and he would sit under the rebel flag and he would talk to Sean about Jesus. And eventually, after about a semester's worth of conversations, Sean came to know Jesus. Sean gave his life to Jesus. He became a Christian. Sean's actually now uh, in, in the same ministry that, that I'm a part of in RUF. And I love that story for so many reasons. But that's what we're talking about. When you come to see that we worship a God who loves flawed people, and you see that you yourself all are that flawed person that he loves, it frees you. To love flawed people while also not expecting them to be Jesus or to be God. That's where we're going this semester. We'd love for you to go with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, just your grace to us. We thank you for stories like we just talked about. Oh, Lord, some of us have our own stories that are similar in um, the ways that you've broken into our lives with this kind of um, radical love. Lord, I, I pray that, that um, for those of us who know you and love you, that you would uh, renew us this semester. And for those of us who are just a little bit skeptical and we don't know what to make of you, Lord, that you would continue to intrigue us, not by anything we're doing, but by the work of your Son and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.